truly is a privilege to be with you once again as we initiate our third session regarding no condemnation. I believe in my heart that that last session, I'll be very honest with you, I don't know if I've ever experienced the anointing of God is like that. And the reason, beloved, that we experience the anointing of God as we're talking about the robe of righteousness, according to Isaiah 61.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.21, it he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ is because of God's heart towards you. Uh, this message is entitled Perceiving Your Own Heart, Overcoming Your Own Soul. And this title really, I, I believe it will mean a lot to you as we go on with this teaching and you'll begin to see that there are certain things that try to come against you. Even when you hear a, a teaching like, like you did in our prior session, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit can be so strong. And then the next day in our humanness, you know, there's a battle. And that's why I want to enter into this session, because I believe that this session, perceiving your own heart, conquering your own soul will enable you to be uh, just to when something comes against you whether it's emotions whether it's thoughts you're able to be more than a conqueror in the context of these scenarios again our last session i, I can't underestimate the glory of it the anointing of it and i know that many of you listening uh, to the cd or watching my dvd you, you receive uh, liberation you receive freedom you you are touched by jesus you you're beginning to see yourself as the righteousness of god in christ you're you're beginning to walk in the reality of putting on the robe of Jesus Christ, even his righteousness. And that really is the key. It is the foundation, praise God, even through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But perhaps some of you, even after you had such a great experience through our second session, man, you, you, you were excited when you watched it. But when you woke up that next morning, you know, the emotions weren't there or some thoughts that shouldn't be were there. And what I want to do again in this session is bring us into a place that that robe can be worn in a way that you do not have to fear taking it off. You don't have to fear it being covered up by thoughts or emotions or whatever. But you can stand, praise God, in a way that that robe of righteousness, glory to God, just, oh, hallelujah, it just shines brighter than the noonday sun. Glory to God. All right. I, I, again, I want to uh, foundationally go back to our prior session because not only because of the glory of it, but because it is indeed foundational. You, you know, it's amazing that God has given us his very own love. Romans 5, 5 says that the very love that caused God Almighty to send his only begotten son into the world to die for you is in your heart. God Almighty has given you through the new birth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the very love that caused him to send his only begotten son into this world to die for you. I, that's amazing. And God Almighty, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, again through the new birth and through the, the person of the Holy Spirit, has given you the, the very faith that Jesus himself walked in. And Galatians 2.20 says, I, I, I have been crucified with the cross. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But even more incredibly, and first and foremost, he has given you his righteousness. Glory to God. The very righteousness that Jesus Christ is, he has given to you. 
Oh, glory to God. There, there's nothing like it. There never will be anything like it. We will be praising him for eternity because of it. It is the foundation of everything. All right. Now, in this session, again, we're going to learn how just to walk in the reality of, of not only his righteousness, but to walk in the reality of his word so we can in no wise let the enemy negate or cover up the robe of righteousness that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55, 9, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, it's a very powerful passage, unfortunately somewhat misunderstood. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 9 and 10, the scripture says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It goes on to say that God Almighty will forgive God Almighty will cause us to enter into a place due to covenant where that which we have committed, the sins that we have committed, will indeed be both forgiven and forgotten. Someone says God's ways are higher than our ways. How can we understand them? How can we know them? That surely is talking about his sovereignty, him just doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, irregardless of what has been sown or the heart of the person. No, beloved, what it's talking about is that God's goodness is so much greater than our goodness. God's love is so much greater than our love. God's wisdom is so much greater than our wisdom. Really, the context of Isaiah 55, 9 through 13 is his desire to forgive even when it looks like we should not be forgiven. In the context of Isaiah 55, 9 to 13, the prophet was addressing the people in a time of great apostasy where they had entered into grievous sin, even sin to the point where they were causing their children to pass through the fire, even sacrificing them to the God of Malak. And they entered into profound sin, perversion, devastation, destruction. They were so downtrodden, so degraded, so destroyed. And God came to them and said, even though you've entered in to, to this sin, I will still forgive you. That's the context of his ways being higher than our ways. I have, there's so much we want to enter into. Now, the first part of the title of this message is perceiving your own heart. If you go to 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, there's a scripture that pertains to this aspect, this variable of perceiving your own heart. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, the scripture says that it is very important to learn to judge ourselves. That if you learn to judge yourself, you will not be judged and you know, will not enter in uh, to hurt. You will not enter into sin. Now, what does it mean to judge yourself? Well, very simply, it means to be able to perceive your heart in the light of God's light. It means to really just to know how you're doing. You know, all of us in our humanness, we are in a place where if God would show us everything we need to change at one time, there's not a person on earth that wouldn't be devastated and overwhelmed to the point where we just, we'd just give up. So God in his grace and mercy and love in a progressive manner, one step at a time, one entity at a time, he deals with us. For example, you may have a problem with anger and you know, when you first got saved, God didn't convict you much in that regard, but then he began to say, you know what? 
we're going to deal with this. We're going to tackle this issue. You see, God does not condemn you, but he convicts you. And he does that because in our humanness, there are so many things that we need to address and we don't even know we need to address them. So when we judge ourselves, we're just saying, Lord, just like the psalmist said in Psalm 1914, let the meditation of my heart, let everything I do just to be unto your glory. So we say, Lord, my heart's an open book. My life's an open book. Show me the things that you want me to deal with at this time. Again, it could be anger. Anger, it could be going to a movie that maybe isn't just the movie that God would want you to go to because of some material intrinsic to it. And, you know, prior to a certain time, God just kind of winked at it and said, you know, what? I'm not, we're not addressing this now. But then he says, you know what? It's time to address it. So, God takes us from place to place, to glory to glory. Uh, again, it might be on judging others. You know, he might, again, there are seasons for different things. But God wants us to be able to judge our own hearts so we can perceive our own heart, so we have confidence towards God. But again, what God does, beloved, he does in the context of conviction, not condemnation. Someone says, what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Well, conviction is when God in love, in gentleness, in peace, in a fatherly manner, is pointing out something that you need to address. Condemnation is when there is a weakness in your life that is addressed in a way that's condemning, that is degrading, that is hurtful, that brings about shame, and really negates the reality of you being clothed with the righteousness of God. But God wants you to know that it is imperative, just so significant that you're able to say, Lord, I'm willing for you to show me things I need to work on. But one of the things he's going to show you, praise God, is that as you walk in the light of his love, everything is just going to turn out all right. Glory to God. All right. Now, the next thing I want to look at is really, it involves a scripture verse that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. It's, it's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Let's read it. 1 John 3, 21. Now, many of you are very familiar with the Bible, but if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's okay. Because you know what? It's progress, progresses as well. I, I remember, you know, when I was first saved, boy, I, I didn't know where any of the books of the Bible were at. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And, you know, uh, certain people, they could just flip to the verses, you know, and I'd be looking and looking and looking. And, uh, but I tell you what, it, that's okay. Praise God. You know, some people look spiritual just because they have tabs in their Bibles. Glory to God. First John chapter three, verse 21. There, there's an awesome verse. And, and first John very simply is one of the last books of the Bible. It's right before uh, the book of Revelation. So 1 John 3, 21, let's look at it, praise God. It's an awesome verse, a very simple verse, but so powerful. It says, beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. Let me read it again. Beloved, if our heart through our mind and not knowing that our mind is different than our heart, we think that God's condemning us. But no, there are times where there's thoughts going to come into your mind that just seem to condemn you. My friend, it's not your heart. 
If it's not your heart, you have confidence towards God. Sometimes your emotions condemn you. You just feel so, you know, so, you know, unclean. You feel so unrepentant. You feel just so wrong. Sometimes, you know, your actions condemn you. You messed up again. And you just say, your, your actions are staring you in your face. And it's so easy to enter into condemnation. But God says, you know what? If your heart doesn't condemn you, then you have confidence towards God. Now, sometimes people will condemn you. But again, if your heart condemns you, not. You have confidence towards God. What's your heart? Your heart's the part of you that's born again. It's the part of you that knows you're the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the part of you that communes with God. It's the part of you that has the life of God intrinsic to it. Let's look at each of these variables. The mind, emotions, uh, just our actions that sometimes we're, we mess up and, and other people. And just let's look in depth at this because this is where the tire hits the road. You know, the enemy hates the robe of righteousness that we talked about, that we literally uh, put on and, and, and to visualize if you're watching it, you know, by DVD. You know, I tell you, he hates the, the, robe, the, the coat of many killers. He tried to destroy that coat and Joseph with it. He tried to destroy that, the coat that was on Tamar as a virgin daughter of David. He'll try to destroy it in your life. And again, this is why we're entering in in this session, letting the Holy Spirit minister unto us some variables of wisdom so we can walk in complete victory no matter what our emotions are saying, no matter what our circumstances are saying, no matter, no matter what people are saying, and sometimes no matter even if our actions are saying something, no matter what our mind is saying, so we can have confidence towards God. All right, now the mind, I, I, many times, it'll try to deceive you. you. You're so excited about the truth of the gospel. You're the righteousness of God in Christ, and then your mind, and your mind throws this thought at you. you know, it just can't be that simple. And before you know it, it's like, man, you're denying your heart by substituting your mind for your heart. I'm going to say that again. You see, one of the ways that the enemy gets us to deny our heart is by substituting something in place of it. So that thought comes, well, that just can't be right. That teaching on the robe of righteousness, it's just too simple. You need to say it might be simple, but it's the truth of God's word. And Jesus did all the hard work to make it simple through the blood that he shed for me on Calvary's tree. You know, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 11, let not the simplicity that is in Christ corrupt your minds. What, that, what, what does that mean? It means that sometimes the enemy is going to come and say, that's just too simple. You need to understand again. Jesus made it simple, praise God, through him negating the complexities through the blood of his son. I work a lot with uh, professors in a university setting with administrators, college presidents. I'm in a relationship with a number of people in very seemly roles. And I tell you, one of the things that they have trouble with most regarding the gospel is the simplicity that is in Christ. You just need to say it. God doesn't condemn me. I will not condemn myself because if God doesn't condemn me, I will not condemn myself. All right. Your mind might say, you know, it can never be this good. You know, that, that preacher saying you have a great destiny, even the Bible might be saying it, but it just, it just can't be that way. You committed a sin. 
that you know is going to follow you the rest of your life. Your destiny, your life, you're always going to be in the shadows of that sin. I'm here to tell you something. Mm. It will be this good because Jesus Christ said it would. In 1 Kings 17, there's a powerful story. The prophet Elijah is uh, staying with a, a widow and her son. They're, they're, he's living in the upstairs. They're in the downstairs, and they're being blessed because they have um, accommodated the prophet. And what happens is this. They're in the midst of blessing, in the midst of the miraculous. I mean, she has uh, <clears throat> oil and meal that's never run out. It's an amazing miracle, a continual miracle. Then her son dies. And the prophet comes in and the first thing she says in 1 Kings 17, have you come to remind me of my sin? Elijah says, no, I've not come to remind you of your sin. I've come to bring blessing. And most of you know the story. He takes the young lad, brings him to the upper room where he was staying literally falls upon him and the anointing of God envelops him and the, and the young man is raised from the dead. Then she says, now I know that you're a prophet. Well, she should have known that he was a prophet prior by the great miracle that was done prior. But you see, what was on her mind? As soon as something went wrong, as soon as calamity came, she said, have you come to remind me of my sin? God has not come to remind you of your sin. Your mind might remind you of your sin. But God has not come to remind you of your sin. Oh, glory to Jesus. God is so good. See, what I want you to see, that it wasn't her heart that condemned her. It was her mind. There's a similar story in 2 Kings chapter 4 regarding the prophet Elisha. She accommodates, her and her husband accommodate Elisha and his servant Gehazi. They build him a, a room to stay in. They, they, they give him food and they bless him and they bless his servant. And what happens, he says to his servant Gehazi, what can I do to bless this woman of God, this Shunammite woman? He says, her husband is elderly. She has no child. So Elisha comes in and prophesies the word of the Lord and says, you will have a child by this time next year. She says, do not deceive me. It's just too good to be true. Next time, ne at that time next year, she has a son. The son is about 12 years old, and like the widow's son, he dies. Uh, the enemy came against him. And uh, she takes, she runs to the prophet, and the first words out of her mouth, did I not say, do not deceive me? What was she saying? Did I not tell you I'm not worthy of this? My past causes me not to be worthy of this. Elisha negated what she was thinking, her inferiority, her condemning herself, and that boy was raised from the dead. I'm here to tell you something. God Almighty does not condemn you. Your heart may, does not condemn you. Your mind may condemn you, but your heart, it does not condemn you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There's so much in that. All right, I trust that that's helpful for, to you because I tell you, your mind, can I tell you something? The next time your mind tries to tell you what's right, when it is in opposition to the word of God, you tell your mind all it is is refined dirt. Really, God made this body 
from the dust of the earth. Your mind is nothing but refined dirt that, that God just did a good job with. But your heart, glory to God, it's the image of the glory of God. Hallelujah. What are you going to uh, prefer? What are you going to uh, uh, you know, put first? Refined dirt or the very image of the living God? All right. Again, I hope that helps you. Let's look at our emotions. I don't know about you, but sometimes emotions, they're so strong. And especially in the society that we live in. You know, if it feels good, do it. Everything's uh, really, it's gauged in the context of our emotions. But God is not this way. God causes us to live through, again, through our hearts, not through our emotions. You know, emotions can be so, so vain, so, so deceptive. Just like your mind is made from, uh, you know, refined dirt, your emotions are simply a physiological reaction the different things that you have experienced. Your emotions have nothing to do with your spirit. They are in the realm of the physical, of the physiological. Let, let, let's hear some, some examples. Uh, I, you know, I, I counsel so many people. I have a master's degree in counsel. And one of the most difficult things sometimes is when somebody has survivor's guilt. Somebody was driving a car and they, they weren't even going uh, over the speed limit. Someone hit them. But a passenger in their car was either hurt severely unto disability or, or even killed. They, they struggle with survivor's guilt. Uh, veterans of war, many times, they, they struggle with, with survivor's guilt. They survive, but many within their platoon did not. A parent struggles. Their, their son or daughter died prematurely before they did. And sometimes they get freed through the grace of God because it's not their fault. But they feel condemned. The emotions are so strong. And I tell these precious people, the emotions are not a gauge of truth. They are not a gauge of truth in any way, shape, or form. You have to get on with your life. I'll never forget uh, years ago when uh, my wife and I were in campus ministry. We had a, a coffee house and every uh, Saturday night we would have uh, a group, a band come up and play. And uh, we'd, a lot of university students would come uh, to, to hear the, the group and a lot of souls were won through this ministry. And I'll never forget uh, one Saturday night I was helping the band unload their equipment uh, the concert started till 8 o'clock, but they were there about 6 o'clock. And I noticed that almost there's uh, seven members in the group, and every one of them just seemed oppressed, depressed. They just seemed down. And I said, guys, what's wrong? They came from about an hour away uh, from East Pittsburgh. And I said, what's wrong? They said, man, we don't understand it. All of us have been saved for about three years now. And we were all into drugs before we were saved. And, but none of us have ever touched drugs since. But, you know, I don't know why, but, man, we, all of us coming up, just we felt like we wanted to get high. We felt like we, we just wanted to enter into some type of drug activity, and we just feel so bad. We feel condemned. We, and I said, well, let's just put two and two together. I said, when did you guys get high the most? They said, well, usually in the spring is when we really, you know, I did ourselves. I said, wasn't well, it interesting? This is the spring of the year, end of April. 
I said, when you guys get highlighted, they said, well, when we traveled outside of the city to, to go to, uh, to do a gig, they, they had a band prior to being saved. And I said, here's what's happening. Your body doesn't know any better. It's picked up. It's the springtime. You're doing it just like you used to. So your body has picked up. You see, your body correlates with past. So it just thinks because you're doing the same thing you used to do when you got high, that you're going to get high again. And that's elicited emotions unto you having these cravings or whatever. You know, they, they begin to think, they just all began to laugh. They said, isn't that the truth? You know, we used to load up our, our van our, and, and just, that's exactly right. They, they just had a good laugh and boy went on and just did a great concert. I'm here to tell you something. Your emotions are not a gauge of truth. You need to understand, no matter how strong, no matter how real, your emotions can say, you know what? You're not forgiven. Your emotions can say, there's no way out. Your emotions can say that you're going to, oh, Jesus. So in such a real way, they can say, it's just all over. You're going to face the music. There's no way that destiny is going to be fulfilled. It'll bring, it'll bring oppression. It'll bring anything that's almost imaginable. You have to understand. Emotions may condemn you. But if your heart condemns you not, you have confidence towards God. I've seen sometimes people just start to weep. I mean, their emotions, they just start to weep uncontrollably. And a thought comes up of what they did in the past. And whether I'm in counseling or whether they relate that experience to me, I always tell them this. Man, your emotions just seem to take over. And You know, sometimes it happens to me too. We're human. Emotions are strong. But I said... When your emotions were condemning you, when your emotions were reminding you of that incident, did your heart condemn you? Oh, they say, absolutely not. Well, I said, if your heart didn't condemn you, you have confidence towards God. See, it's your heart that matters. 1 John 3, 21. Oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. I'm so excited about Jesus. Let, let's look at this one. Your actions. You know, you messed up again. I mean, man, I mean, you didn't, you know, you talk about, you know, drug use, somebody that was involved in marijuana, them smoke marijuana for three years, and all of a sudden they have a relapse just for a day, and oh man, they just beat themselves up, condemn themselves, they think they're no good, they think they're going to relapse in, in a bad way, they, they just, oh man, they're just beating themselves up over and over again, they don't see themselves as worthy, they can't minister again, can I tell you something? You messed up. But is that action condemning you? Or is it your heart condemning you? You know, God is not there to condemn you. You know, Peter really messed up when he denied Jesus. He messed up again when he just said, man, I'm done with this stuff. I'm going fishing. I've had enough of this Christianity stuff. But you know what? Jesus came to him. He didn't condemn him. He said, Peter, will you feed my sheep? Three times he said, Peter, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my flock? He wasn't there to condemn them. He was there to give them the opportunity to come back. Oh, glory to God. You know, you got angry again. An impure thought came again and you entertained it. I'm here to tell you something. If you want to walk in victory with Jesus, repent quick and forgive quick.
I want to say that again. If you want to walk in victory and prosperity, learn to repent quick and learn to forgive quick. It's not going to help you, you know, just dwelling on what you did. Sometimes that's just feeling sorry for yourself. Repent, be sorrowful, but repent and it's done. Repent quick and forgive quick. Glory to God. I'll never forget, again, when my wife and I were in campus ministry, we're in campus ministry for a number of years, about 12 years. And uh, I had a call from uh, one of my leadership students. And it was about quarter to three in the morning. And and I said, man, what's going on? He said, you got to come over here. He said, my roommate is just saying he's never going to walk with Jesus again. And he's just, I mean, he's just tormented. He's, you know, just almost just, he's just a wreck. So I went over and I said, man, what's going on? And he said, you know, I was, I was struggling just with impure thoughts. He said, uh, he said, homosexual thoughts. He said, I was struggling with those thoughts. I was struggling with these thoughts of impurity. I was struggling with this. And he said, man, and he was just, he was just, tears were just flowing down his, his face. He was just, just crying so much. And you could tell he was just hurting so bad. And he said, man, impurity's trying to, he said, I was just, oh man, I was thinking about this girl, thinking about this, thinking about this, thinking about this. And I said, I'll be honest with you. And I'm going to share with you something I told him that you might not understand. So just hear it first and then we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? But I said, you know what? I said, you bless me more when you're struggling with sin than most Christians do when they're walking right. And he looked at me. He said, how can you say that? I said, because, you know, there's a lot of Christians. They're trying to do whatever they can do just to get by, see what they can get away with. That's not you. You know, most people that struggle with condemnation are the people that want to walk with God the most. And I said, you know what? I see your hurt. I see your pain. And he said to me, he said, how can I love God when I'm fighting these thoughts? I said, you know what? Because in your heart, you love God. Even though you're not, you have not yet learned to put these impure thoughts under the blood in subjection to your spirit. You see, Peter, when he denied Jesus, he still loved Jesus. I'm here to tell you something. You can enter into the wrong action and still have a right heart. You know, this young man is a very successful missionary. Literally has led tens of thousands to Jesus Christ. You see, he was almost condemning himself to the place where he was not going to walk with Jesus again. He was serious. See, he was condemning himself. See, God was not condemning him. God was convicting him. But he condemned himself. You see, God will convict you. But you will condemn yourself. Unless you understand the heart of God. And the difference between conviction and condemnation. Unless you understand the difference between your heart and even your actions at times. Does that mean that you have a right just to do whatever you want and say it's no big deal? No. But you see... With most Christians, when they struggle, and I've struggled before. I, I mean, if you haven't struggled, you haven't been far. We've all struggled. But you see, the Bible says a righteous man 
is not a man that never struggles. The Bible says in Proverbs 7 that a righteous man is a man that falls down but gets up. This young man and his wife, and they're just amazing missionaries. But you see, he got free because he saw the difference between his heart and his actions. Let's look at this other variable of people. You know, there are so many people that judge by outward appearances. Man, if you look good, say the right things. It's like, man, you got your happy face on all the time. You must be a strong believer. There's nothing further than the truth. And man, if you fail, you're never going to get up again. If you fail, you're not worthy to get up again. I'll never forget the minister of Catherine Coleman affected my life. And many years ago, she was a healing evangelist in in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, early 70s before her death. And uh, I can't tell you how she influenced me. I mean, the greatest service I believe I've ever been at were her services. I remember a Good Friday service where the man next to me never heard and he received his hearing. There was a group of young people, all with cerebral palsy. And because I was a special education major at the time of college, my eyes were on them. And in an instant, every one of them were made perfectly whole. I, I, the blind saw, and what a wonderful woman of God. And You know, when she was a young woman, she passed her to church in Denver, Colorado, entered into adultery, left the ministry, lost a 10,000-member church, one of the largest churches in the country at that time. And she said, I will never, I will never minister again. And she repented. She entered into a place of freedom and victory. And God said, you will minister for me. She said, Lord, I will not minister to you. He said, you will minister for me. And she did. And one of the greatest ministries the world's ever known. And people even to this day say, well, could that have been real when she committed sin? I'm here to tell you something. Was, was, is, that, is that half the New Testament real because Paul committed sin when he was Saul? You better believe it is. You have to be careful regarding what people say. People that judge by their own testimony. Listen to me real closely to this. You know, you may have a testimony where, man, you were beat up by your dad, but you you got over it quick. Hey, just because you did doesn't mean everybody else does. Don't judge people by your own testimony. Judge them by the truth of God's word. Listen to me. There are certain things that you will not get over easily, but I will. There are certain things I will get over easily, and you won't. But don't judge somebody just because you got over it quick. Mm. You might not have been affected by the slap on the face, but you were affected when your dad didn't come to the game. Somebody else was affected by negativity. We have to be very careful. It's just, just like salvation. You know, it's amazing to me. You know, some people, they'll get saved and and, and their filthy language will be gone, but yet they'll still smoke. Some people, they'll get saved, the smoking will go, but they'll still struggle with filthy language. Somebody else, man, the filthy language will go, the cigarettes will go, but they'll still have gossip. You know, why does one thing go and something else seems, I don't understand everything, but I know this. We need to understand this. Until you walked in somebody else's shoes, you got to be real careful by the way you judge them. You know, there are, I, I counsel people all the time. I, I counsel rad kids. What's a rad kid? It's, it's called reactionary attachment disorder. Let me just give you an example. 
you know, two, two kids in the same family. Uh, they're brothers. I mean, the parents split. The dad leaves never to come back. And the one boy says, you know what? I forgive and I forget. The other boy's on drugs and wants to kill himself. One was affected more than another because one has a different makeup than the other. It doesn't make the one better than the other. God's grace is going out to both of them. Oh, my, my, my. So many things. You know, uh, oh, man, people, they're still struggling with trauma when they did get hit. You say, well, I, I, I had that happen. I got over it. Why can't they? Again, why can't you get over this? We have to be careful how to judge people. Amen? All right. People who know of situations or were involved in situations where we either hurt someone or hurt ourselves. Let me, let me just give an example. Maybe you introduce somebody to drugs and they're still, now they're a drug addict, but you got free. You can't condemn yourself because of where they're at. Mm, Jesus. Maybe you, gossip about, you gossiped about somebody, defamed somebody, degraded somebody, and it cost them a position at their job. You know, the apostle Paul had to face this. You know, I'm sure that he encountered Man, the husbands of, of, the, of the women and children that he put in prison. What should he have done? Quit ministry? Degraded himself? Condemned himself? I'm here to tell you something. You don't take the robe off because you hurt somebody or you hurt yourself. God is holy. God is true. God's the only judge that's true. Mm. Go with me, if you would, to Romans 8, 32 to 37. The book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 32 to 37. I love this. You see, I'm not saying you just pretend like nothing ever happened. You know, you're sorrowful. But you know what? In one way, you say, hey, I am here now to do everything I can to bless humanity, to bless God, and to bless anybody, anyone I can. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 32 to 37, it's very, very powerful. It says this. Mm. Oh, I love it so much. It says that if God didn't spare his only begotten son, surely with him he will give us all things. Then it says this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather than it's risen again. Who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Goes on to say that we are more than conquerors through him. And if God's for us, what does it matter who's against us? Here's what I'm telling you something. There's only one that has a right to condemn. When the, the woman was caught in adultery and they were going to stone her with stones, they were going to kill her. Jesus said, man, who's ever without sin, you cast the first stone. Can I tell you something? There was one without sin, and his name was Jesus, and he did not take up a stone. There is only one that has the right to condemn. There is only one that has the right to judge, and his name is Jesus. And if his judgment is towards you, then let every man be a liar. You are free. You are forgiven. The sin is forgotten. It is taken care of. And I guarantee you this, God will do everything he can that, to help people you've hurt. But the bottom line is this. You leave that with God and you go on with God. Glory to Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And if somebody that you hurt, maybe again, that they can't get over it. You know what? That's between them and God. You've got to say, I'm not taking the robe off. It's not going to help them anyways. It's not going to help them at all. Two wrongs don't make a right. All right. I told you this is going to be gut level. But you see, the devil's filthy. He will do anything he can to get you to take the robe of righteousness off. Mm. All right. Now go with me to James 121. I'll tell you, I'm so excited about what we're going to enter into now. I'm excited about this whole teaching because it's the, the, I sense the heart of God towards you. And James 121, we find scriptures that, that seem somewhat atypical in the sense that they, they can easily be understood. James 121, the Bible says there, this, therefore lay apart all filthiness and, and it says naughtiness and receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is the King James. But be a doer of the word. And it goes on to say, not being a forgetful hearer, who would be like a man who looks in the mirror and says, yeah, I see that. I see what I look like. Then forgets because he doesn't live by the word of God. Just like you heard the message in our prior session, you're the righteousness of God. You're excited about it. But you don't, if you don't meditate on that and immerse yourself in it, you can forget what that robe looks like and forget that it's yours. But the expression here, intrinsic to James 1.21 says this, the word of God, the scriptures that I have right here in my hand, the scriptures are able to save your soul. Someone says, I thought my soul was saved. No. See, your soul, again, your soul is your mind, your emotions, your personality, and your willpower. When you get saved, your spirit gets saved. You become a new creation. It's just like when you get married. Man, your spirits become one. But then you got to work on the rest becoming one. Your souls don't become one when you get married. Man, your wife might have this personality. You have this personality. You got to work that out. Praise God. When you get saved, your spirit gets saved. But your soul gets saved through the engrafted word. I'm going to give you a number of examples on this. There's so much on God's heart today. So I know this is a little bit spiritually discerned, meaning it's a little bit meaty. But just stay with me and you're going to understand it, okay? Now, I just said that your soul is your mind, your emotions, your personality, your willpower. Now listen to this. Whenever your soul gets hurt, and I'm going to give you a bunch of examples, there's something that happens, and it's what I call a solical imprint. A solical imprint. Listen to the definition that, 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 I, that I penned. A solical imprint is the reality of your solical being being penetrated in a way that an imprint, a cut, a fracture is realized in your soul. I'm going to say that again. It's the reality of your soul being penetrated in a way that an imprint, a cut, a fracture is realized in your soul. Now, I want you to understand something. When you enter into a place where you fracture a bone in your foot or your arm, you know that something has penetrated your arm or your foot or your, in a way that there's pain and it has to be remedied. It has to be healed. It's very much like this with your soul. See, people don't understand that your soul can be hurt, 
just like your physical body. Now listen to some of these examples. And I want you to think of which ones might relate to you. Now let me give a, a natural example first. You know, years ago, uh, my wife and I and our children, we were stopped at a, a red light and, uh, in the left-hand lane and a car hit us going about 50 miles an hour in the back. And by God's grace, none of us were hurt. I mean, I mean, my neck was sore, but nothing serious to my wife at all or my kids. But I'll never forget, man, for about the, last, the next three months, every time I came to a similar situation, left-hand lane or, you know, stoplight, man, I just, I went like this. You see, it did something to my mind. It affected me. It, 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 you know, and so when I was in a similar situation, my, my emotions reacted. Here's what I want you to say. When something penetrates your soul, your mind, your emotions, your personality, when it, when it affects you, it can be very damaging. Your soul's very sensitive. For example, if you heard some, one of your parents say, man, I wish that he was never born. I wish she was never born. Can I tell you something? That will wound you. It will cut your emotional makeup in a way that's very significant. So every time there's rejection, man, it opens up that wound. It opens up that wound unless it was healed. You see, when your soul is hurt, it'll, and then every time something else happens, it elicits thoughts, mindsets, emotions. And that's where there's a lot of people. They live their life according to the fractures of their soul because they've never been healed. I'll never forget, I was counseling a, a young woman. Uh, her husband uh, sent her up to me all the way from North Carolina. And he said, you know, our marriage is on the rocks. Our kids, man, they, you know, they're younger, but they, they have a hard time being with their mom. She's so controlling, so manipulative. He said, I can't take it. And we began to talk, and she shared that she had been sexually abused when she was five years old at the hands of a, a babysitter. And, you know, she said, but what's that have to do with anything? And I said, you know what? Anytime you think you're not in control, you think you're going to get hurt. So you're controlling, you're manipulative, you're overprotective. I said, and your life is being destroyed. You see, that one instance fractured her soul, imprinted her soul, to whenever something similar, a similar scenario was taking place, that fracture was now renewed, that imprint was now opening up again that wound. I, I was counseling a man uh, a number of years ago. I mean, he's a, a president of a corporation and he has many employees under him. And I, I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, you have one of the worst reputations in this city. I, oh, Jesus. And I was in the Philadelphia area. I'd met him. He was in the Philadelphia area. And I, I, and I said, you're, I'll be honest with you. You say you're Christian. You're one of the meanest men I've ever met. I said, why is that? He said, I'll be honest with you. Now, this man, listen to me, was 62 years old. He said, when I was seven, I was in the third grade. He said, I got beat up every day, bullied on a school bus. Now, that's 55 years ago. He said, when I was seven years old, at the end of the school year, I said, I will never let anybody hurt me again, ever, and I will make them pay. 
I said, for 55 years, you've lived your life out of that imprint, out of that fracture in your soul. And he put his head down. He said, you know, I'm sorry. You know, we, we prayed a simple prayer and God met him. His life changed. Sometimes it's not automatic. It's progressive, but God has provision for you. And that's what we're going to get into. Let's look at some other examples. Someone's been abandoned due to the selfishness of a, a father that's committed adultery or through the weakness of a mother that was so emotionally incapable that she was just not able to meet the needs of her child. And because of that, you can't trust. It seems like you can't trust. Somebody's been sexually abused, it's like they've been cut. And if that cut's not tended to, can I tell you something? Infection will come. It'll turn into bitterness. Or it'll turn into you condemning yourself and entering into false guilt. Hmm. Sin. I, you know, I shared this prayer, but I'll never forget the face of this young girl. I, I've counseled so many people just like her, but, you know, 17 years old, her mother sent her for counseling when she was 15. Very pretty girl. She was engaged in an affair with a youth pastor who was married. And this girl had such a heart for God. I mean, she knew it was wrong. And because she knew it was wrong, it hurt her so bad. She could, it was like, she knew it hurt the wife of this youth pastor. And when she found out, and she picked up on it, it was just like, man, her whole soul was fractured. And I said, Jesus has provision for you. She was on an extreme dosage of medication just to survive so she wouldn't commit suicide. I said, Jesus is not there to condemn you. But you see, her soul was crying out, imprinted with guilt, imprinted with what she did, imprinted. Mm. I'll share with you provision for her, but more importantly, provision for you. Let me share something very personal to me. When I was a junior in college, in the end of March, it was... Uh, good Friday night, going into set really Saturday morning, and I woke up and my house was on fire. I, I alerted my dad and we got my mother out, but she died of uh, smoke inhalation. And uh, she was literally only had months to live in because the doctors told us because of complications due to spinal bifida, but the trauma was, as you could understand, very intense in my life. I, I, I was a young Christian. And the way I coped with it, I said, well, I led my mother to cross just last year, so it's okay. And in one way, that's good, but in one way, it wasn't. Because you see what I did, I covered up my soul rather than let God minister to my soul. I'm going to say that again. I covered up my soul rather than let God minister to my soul. See, my soul was hurt. I was heartbroken. My emotions were shattered. But I just covered it up. Can I tell you something? There's a difference between covering up your wound, covering up the fracture, and the fracture being made whole, the wound being mended. And what happened is I, I didn't even know what was going on, but I began to enter into a place where it was like, 
when something happened that was bad, I didn't fight against it. I just said, no big deal. No big deal. That's all I kept saying. No big deal. And my emotions were very limited. My emotions were just, it was like they were in the back seat instead of the front seat. And finally, God came to me. And he said, you know what? You covered up what happened, but you never let me heal you. You see, sometimes we're good as Christians uh, with religious verbiage that covers it up. Well, God knew that was going to happen, so he, or he wanted this to happen, or, you know, you know, in the light of eternity, it doesn't matter. I'll never forget, you know, ministering to a young woman who had been gang raped three times. And, and her church, I knew the church, it was a good church, they preached the gospel, but their way of, of, of see, instead of getting her healed, they tried to cover up the fractures, the devastation, the destruction in her life. That instead of heal, getting her healed, her soul healed, they tried to cover it up and they said, you know what? God let that happen just so you could empathize with others of, of like plot, so you could minister to them. Well, this girl was a drug addict entering into a place of prostitution and she heard me speak at a Bible study. And after she was weeping, she came to my wife and I she said, I want to know this Jesus that didn't want this to happen to me and has provision for me. She lives an amazing life right now. Amazing. Surely that God healed, she's a vehicle of healing to, to thousands right now. Why am I telling you this? It is so important not to be vulnerable to our emotions, our mind, other people's opinions, even wrong actions at times. And not to be vulnerable to imprints that have been realized in us through hurt. Fractures that are still there that need to be healed. I'm so excited now about being able to enter into this, ne this next part. I, I tell you, I, you have no idea. I've been, oh, I've been just wanting to share this. I want to share a few things with you. How do you get the fractures? Mended. How do you enter into a place where the imprint is washed away? How do you enter into a place where the wound, even if infected after so many years, is still viable? Let me share a few things with you. First of all, in Luke chapter 4, if you go there with me, verse 18, I love this. It talks about the ministry of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, Verse 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he shares why he came. And he said, the first reason I've come is to share about salvation, to share the gospel. The second reason I've come is to bind up, to heal the brokenhearted. The third reason I've come is to deliver those who are in bondage. The fourth reason I've come is to give physical healing. The fifth reason I've come is to Share the acceptable, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. Father God knows your heart and accordingly prioritizes his whole ministry around you. After salvation, the number one priority of Jesus Christ is to heal the broken heart. To make the fracture whole. To negate the wound. Glory to God. 
Oh, Jesus, you're so precious. You know, in Luke 10, 33, the story of the Good Samaritan, a story that has been voiced probably by more preachers than any other story other than the uh, prodigal son. A man that didn't seem to be worthy. You know, the preacher passed over on the other side representing the church. A businessman passed over on the other side. And then somebody that was a Samaritan who was supposed to be a person that was inferior went to the man. I think that everybody passed over on the other side because they didn't think the man that was hurting was worthy to be tended to. He was going to require money. He was going to be require time. He was going to require all kinds of things. And the Bible says, oh, glory to God. In Luke 10, 33, that the man came to him, the good Samaritan, and poured in the oil and the wine. Beloved, God's provision is for you to be washed in the wine of his word and to be mended through the oil of his spirit. God has provision for you. Now, to make that wine and that oil more practical to you, I want to relate to you something in the Bible that revolves around the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, according to Hebrews 9, referring back to Exodus 33, shares of a symbol of who Jesus Christ is to you. See, the Holy Spirit dwelt above this ark. This ark was only about, I, I was about the size of this table you're looking at in front of me. And in the ark were three things. The Ten Commandments. And you know, the Ten Commandments weren't these, you know, big, huge tombstone-like things that you see Charlton Heston breaking down in the film, The Ten Commandments. They were about the size of a notebook. And then there was a golden jar of manna. And there was something called Aaron's rod that budded. You say, what's it have to do with me? Listen real closely. The Ten Commandments represent you. Oh, I get so excited about this. You being the righteousness of God in Christ. Just what we talked about last session. You see, the Ten Commandments represent God's righteousness. But we've all fallen short of them. So we're not righteous. So we had to have somebody give us their righteousness. And that's what Jesus did. So the Ten Commandments represent you having that robe on. You being righteous before God. You receiving the gift of righteousness. But here's the second thing that was in that ark. It was the golden jar of manna. And it represents Jesus Christ. But it not only represents Jesus Christ, it represents him being able to be partaken of by you. I'm going to say that again. Jesus said in John 6 and in John 8, I'm the bread, I'm the manna that comes down from heaven. He who eats of me will live. What did he mean by that? He meant that if you partook of his love through his word, the Bible, of his presence, of his voice, that man, his life was not going to come to you. John 6, 57 is an amazing verse. I mean, this is a verse that's amazing. And it says this, 
Jesus, when talking about eating of his body, drinking of his blood, he wasn't talking of literally eating of him. Of course not. He says in John 6, 63, my words are spirit and truth. He's using that as an analogy. And he says this, even as I have eaten of my father, even as I have partaken of his love through his presence, through his voice, through his word, so can every Christian partake of me. Now listen to this. And even as I lived by partaking of my father, you will live likewise like I lived because you partake of me. It's amazing. How do you get healed from the horrendous things that have happened? How do you get healed from the condemnation that would try to plague you by the things you've done? By eating of Jesus. Please see this. Inside of Jesus is no condemnation. You see, what you've heard this expression, what you eat, you'll become. Please listen to me. Please. Oh, Jesus. I feel his heart going out to you so strong. There's no condemnation in Jesus. There's love, there's mercy, there's righteousness, the gift of righteousness. So when you eat of him through his word, you read Isaiah 61.10 about the robe of righteousness. You, you read John 6.57. You read 2 Corinthians 5.21. You start to eat of him. And when you eat of him, you begin to enter in to being able to believe in him. And receive who he is to you. The third thing in that ark was Aaron's rod that budded. It just represents you knowing in your heart what's true. As we close, we, we have about eight minutes. I want to share three things with you I believe will be life-changing. The first testimony is this. In Song of Solomon, there was a woman, the Shunanite woman. And you see... In chapter 1, verse 6, she says, don't judge me because I've been burnt by the sun. Her, she had been burnt by the sun, which was indicative of her being a slave. You see, at that time, the fairer that you were, the more esteemed you were. She had been burnt by the sun because her stepbrothers had degraded her and used her wrongly and made her be out in the fields from sun up to sundown. And you see, nobody would want to be with her. Because of what she was imprinted with through being in the sun for so long. But you see what happened was, in chapter 2 verse 1, the king came. Everybody, the king was single and he was looking for a bride. And everybody told her, get out of here. He won't even look at you because of how, what ha look, you've been, you're a slave girl. And she said this, I am the Rose of Sharon. And he responded by saying, and so you are to me. A lot of people think, take that reference, Jesus is the rose of Sharon, but in this context, she says, I am the rose of Sharon. You see, she did not let the imprint negate her destiny. Amazingly, in chapter 8, her brothers hate her so much. And they said, our little sister's about ready to get married. 
And they degrade her physically. They said, they actually say our little sister has no breasts. And what will we do? My breasts are like towers. What's she saying? You will not degrade me. You will not condemn me. Listen to me. Some of you listening to me, you let the enemy, let your bodies condemn you because they don't measure up to what the world says is right. I'm here to tell you, God says you are precious. God says you are right. God says, I didn't make you to compare yourself to the world. I made you to see yourself as the righteousness of God in me and you are beautiful. I counsel girls all the time struggling with anorexia and they get free because they enter into the truth and they're able to say I am not this I'm this there's so much on my heart I, I, I want to share testimony a young man who had been raped by another man he came to me for counseling he said there's no hope he said I, I, I'm no good I must have ca caused this he said I, I, I'm going to become a, a homosexual and I, I, and I do not degrade those struggling with homosexuality we're here to homosexual we're here to help them not to, to hurt them and he was just and I said God has provision we begin to eat of Jesus of the love of Jesus he's now a pastor with four children this was a number of years ago Last thing I want to share is this. Please listen to me. This is a true story. There was a, a woman that my wife and I in, in our Bible study were ministering to. She had leukemia. Last stages, she was dying. And she, she was not eligible for a, a transplant for people to, for a donor because she was dying. She was too weak. We prayed. She got strong. Uh, they found a donor. And I'll never forget that there was a match and she, you know, her blood was taken out. She was given new blood, new cells. Well, you see, that's a representation of the unrighteousness being taken out of you. What was in her that was not right was replaced by what was right. And I'll never forget. She was so excited. She came through and she was, for about six months, everything was good. Well, really, it was almost a year. I'm sorry, almost a year. And she called me up. She said, I've got every symptom back in my body. She said, I I've got every symptom of leukemia, fatigue and pain and this and that. And I said, well, let's pray. And you go to the back to the doctors. And here's what the doctor said. He said, you know, sometimes because your body was so familiar with this pain, so familiar with, with, with this, this and this, that the symptoms reappear. But in reality, you're just fine. He said, are working just right. I want to close with this by saying this. Just like that woman received new blood, new cells, and beat leukemia, you've received a new righteousness. The righteousness that you had that was your righteousness, which God said was filthy rags, wasn't working. It's been taken away. Condemnation has been taken away. And sometimes you feel like that precious lady. You feel like the symptoms have come back. You feel your emotions are condemning you. You feel unworthy. You feel unclean. Your mind says you're unclean. Your mind says there's no hope. Other people say so. Sometimes your actions do. But I'm here to tell you something. Even though the symptoms might seem the same, I'm here to tell you that the righteousness that you've been given is working. I'm here to tell you something. Everything's all right.
even when your emotions condemn you, even when your mind condemn you, even when other people condemn you, even at times when your actions condemn you, I guarantee you this, your heart is not condemning you. And if your heart doesn't condemn you, you've got confidence towards God. Who can be against you if he's for you? As I close, I just want to say this to you. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. And as much as the devil hates the robe of righteousness, the robe of many colors, the garment of many colors, which you are, God Almighty, ever lives ever lives to make intercession for you, that you worship him for the robe of righteousness, that you'll never take it off, that you'll enter into destiny through it, that you'll enter into victory. And I'll simply say this as I close. When you're emotional, I know that those fractures are real. But as you are eating of Jesus through his presence, through teachings like this, through his word, through his voice, through his embrace, I guarantee you this. You will enter into a place of wholeness that is beyond what even you can ask or think. That's what's taking place now. I receive in the name of Jesus you understanding that God Almighty has made you righteous. And in your righteousness, he has enabled you to partake of him, to eat of him, to receive of him. So that's who you are. So that's what you proclaim, even as the Shunammite, even in the time of seeming degradation. I got to close with this. I know I said I was going to close before, but I, I got to tell you this. You know what's exciting to me? At the end of Song of Solomon, the land that her brothers made her, that made her farm and till from sunup to Sunday that almost killed her. You know what happened? The king said, this land is now my bride's. And the ones that abused her were now the ones that tilled her land, even as she was now the owner. I'm here to tell you something. Jesus has a way of turning things around. The very things that will condemn you will be the very things that you will be used to deliver others of. God's destiny is amazing. And it's without condemnation. No condemnation now. No condemnation forever.